Welcome to the Attenborough Arts Centre podcast. The Attenborough Arts Centre podcast is back for another run. And we have started off again perfectly timed for Leicester Art Week. And this is a very special edition this week. We are talking to Kelly Richardson, the wonderful artist behind Marin 9, the exhibition that is still going on in our gallery currently. And hopefully, once lockdown 2.0 is over in beginning of December, you'll be able to come along again and view it as best you can. We are also going to be having another run of episodes after this as well, so do stick around for the next few weeks and months up to the end of the year. Anyway, that is enough from me for now. I'm going to hand you over to past me and we're going to have a chat with Kelly. Oh, um... I'm Sophia. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm an NGP member. i am uh, just finished college at the moment, so I'm on my gap year, and I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I'm Kelly Richardson. I'm a video installation artist, and I'm currently exhibiting at Attenborough Art Centre. You are, and it's brilliant. Um, end of interview. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's it. Just Thanks nice for having me. Of, yeah, lovely. Lovely to have you. Uh, cheers. Um no, thank you, thank you for agreeing to this. Um, and also, it is really, it is really nice to have your artwork in the Attenborough Centre, and to hear what people, people who see it say about it. And I go in quite often when I need to relax. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Because um, it is. Maybe could you, just, could you just describe what Marin and Ina is, is for people who haven't yet been able to come and see it. Sure, it's uh, a, vi- a large-scale video installation, so. I'm actually not sure of the dimensions at Attenborough specifically, but usually it's around 43 feet by nine feet tall. It might be a bit bigger there at Attenborough. Uh, it's a, a, a wide panoramic... Pamer- <laughs> Let's try again. Uh, it's a wide panoramic view of Mars, uh, approximately 100 to 200 years into the future. It's... Uh, when it was made, it's it was the most kind of faithful uh, experience of Mars that you could have on planet Earth um, because I used NASA data to construct the landscape uh, as faithfully as I could. Uh, into the landscape are what appears to be the rusting remains of various missions to the planet. Um, and it's... It's videos, so it's it's and it's got 5.1 surround sound. Uh, there's a kind of a dust storm happening, so you're you've got a dust storm sort of swirling around you in audio and also visually on the big wide panoramic view. Uh, and then some of the spacecraft are still partially functioning. Uh, to uh, into the landscape are uh, what appears to be the rusting remains from various missions to the planet. Uh, Some of them are still partially functioning. Others are not functioning. So there is a slight animated content. The longer you look at this uh, large video installation, the more that you see things are moving. Um, The one particular uh, um, 
rover is the Curiosity rover. And when this on the right hand side of the uh, installation and it's, you can see that it's kind of stuck on a, on a rock and mm. it's um, arms are still moving and it's head is still moving and it's firing its laser every now and again. Uh, it's still trying to do its job, which ultimately is to find signs of life and uh, transmit that data back to a planet where uh potentially no one is uh, listening any longer or our interests have shifted um, is another way to look at it. Um, the The scene indicates, because there isn't anything in the scene that would suggest that uh, we have colonized it or at least that particular uh, aspect of the landscape or location in the landscape, it it does appear that and and because everything is kind of malfunctioning at this point it does appear that our interest uh is no longer located there basically it is a as as far as the piece goes we've had really wide reactions to it so on the opening night people were sat there captivated watching it for 20 30 minutes and other people looked at it and like this is really sad and they couldn't watch it for that long because they were like they really felt for curiosity and the fact that they all these um all, all these robots and rovers that they immediately like humanized and related to i'm like but they're really sad they're all alone um <laughs> was that was that like deliberate or did you go in with it making no this is purely a landscape of abandoned scientific vehicles or was it very deliberately works to try and pull on those emotions oh yeah I, I with everything that I do I am kind of trying to walk that line of of creating emotionally charged works uh, but at the same time offer a payoff for it that it's beautiful and 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 that you wanna you want to look at it but that actually you know one potential reading for any of any of the works is related to where we're heading as a species so it and it's not looking good right now uh with uh predictions for our future <laughs> so so that that aspect of uh feeling feeling sad is is i think also in recognition of of that this comes quite quite uh, nicely onto my next sort of question really is that it does present quite a bleak feature of like future of Mars, your your work. Um, do you, having spoken to like NASA and gotten all this, all this data from them, do you, do you get the feeling <laughs> that we will ever reach Mars or do you get the feeling that we ever will get off the earth? I suppose. I know it's, it's a very big question for what is a happy little podcast interview. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it, yeah, yeah, it's hard to keep things light. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I I don't know. I I've spoken to uh, one of the NASA scientists who uh, was uh, one of the uh, contributors to Curiosity rover, and I mean that's amazing just off the bat. Yeah, he <laughs> he was uncertain, but I think he was mostly uncertain about uh, it being a non NASA journey a successful mm. uh um uh trip by an initiative that was not um you know conducted by nasa or overseen by nasa uh it's it 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 poses a lot of problems in terms of how long it will take for people to get there and the various ways that uh things could go wrong on the way there 
and then that's that's just the journey but actually contending with the atmosphere and uh, the non-livable really conditions on mars is is quite another you know a huge uh problem in and of itself so i i think probably we will make it but uh, i'm not really sure what that's going to look like <laughs> A lot of your pieces are um, a lot of your pieces are based on space and sci-fi, and they're all sort of looking up at landscapes as things move in them. What what drew you to create art about like space? Yeah, uh, I think a l- there's there's two works specifically about space exploration, uh, and then other works are located on this planet or yeah, I guess some of them are more ambiguous. Is it this planet or another planet? Uh, it's a way, It's a, I guess it's a similar interest in how I use or, or look to the future. Mm-hmm. That whether we're looking at ourselves from another planet, it's a, basically it's a way of looking back to uh, our current uh, place and time with some measure of perspective, uh, some measure of hindsight if we're looking at our current time uh, from a future perspective if it's from an alien you know martian perspective Mm. we can then see earth uh, somewhat clearly by way of difference in experiencing mars so it's both my interest in space and also uh, related interest in future uh uh, potential landscapes is a way of, of of really seeing ourselves right now with some measure of clarity. Uh, in in terms of my interest in sci-fi, uh, I that I guess is an is another way of of changing our uh, current understanding of of ourselves and mm-hmm. and again looking looking at um, looking at that with some measure of clarity. It's just yeah, because we, we've had a, another artist on the podcast uh, before, who, and they work very much in yeah, they they do uh, like two D visual art, um, but they work in space and supplanting like Euclidean shapes into the complete randomness of space, and just how that in her brain she really likes the dichotomy of these perfectly formed regular shapes and the the madness that is space. Um, it, it seems to be really common motivation and inspiration for a lot of artists and it just makes me really happy we spoke to um someone who works at the uh national space center in leicester about art and the sciences and how it should be rather than stem and arts it should come together as steam because they're linked so closely um has that been like a a motivator for you in in trying to because you're knocking down the doors and working with these huge internationally recognized scientific organizations like NASA and using their data to create art. Is that, uh, is that a very deliberate choice of trying to create what is possibly more abstract and theoretical and making it something that people can engage with here and find beauty from it? Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, I, 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 what I'm trying to do is also create very, believable landscapes and and uh you know i could have for this for this piece i could have gone to arizona and maybe filmed somewhere where it was 
very rocky and the color of the rock was similar uh, and that, you know, hopefully there wouldn't have been any vegetation in the shot. But I, when I found out that NASA had released the data, the topographical data mm. of Mars, I realized actually I could off, I could, you know, theoretically bring this into a program and recreate the land, the lay of the land faithfully. Most mm. of us are not going to go to Mars and most of us don't know what it's like to feel like you're standing on the surface of Mars. So that became an intriguing possibility for me, even though I had never done it before and I didn't really you know, I knew sort of theoretically how to do it, but I just certainly didn't have the skill set to do it. Um, But of course, I'm just really stubborn. And (laughs) as soon as I thought, okay, that's a possibility, I'm going to do that. And so it was, it was a way of, of using that data to really create a a faithful experience of Mars as, as faithful as I could make it. So yeah, I guess I'm interested in in that research and translating that very real data into meaningful landscapes for people. I think if it was completely made up, it wouldn't really have the same kind of draw uh, mm-hmm. as it does to, to link a kind of uh, imagined space with, with, uh, with real data. Brilliant. Um, now we're getting into the more technicalities of this, I'm willing to throw my hands up and say I'm completely out of my depth. So I'm going <laughs> to um, introduce Sophia and and she's got so, uh, some questions for you, far more focused on, on the technicalities okay. and, and more about the work itself and how I just want to say, yeah, we, we, from like the guys' questions, we really love how Hi. sort of playing with reality as a, as a material and what attracted you to using hyper-realistic sort of uh, digital film as a, as a medium? Uh, I think I, I, I want people to believe in these landscapes, even though they're, they're also uh, unreal. And, and people know that. Well, for the most part, they know that. At, at times, people have been confused by my level of, of um, uh, interruption of the, of the image. But uh, yeah, I think they have, to be, they have to be believable. If they didn't offer a kind of uh, hyper-real nature, I don't think they, they would register in the same way at all, actually. I, if they were uh, very obviously computer-generated or, or, you know, aesthetically appeared to be more um, maybe illustrative or, or animated or, or, or pared down in terms of detail, so it didn't lack, or, or rather it, it lacked the detail to convince the viewer of where they were, then it would, it would be read in a very different way. But that is ultimately the goal is I'm trying to convince people that, or to, I'm trying to convince people to suspend yeah, disbelief yeah, and, and, and um, allow themselves to imagine So yeah, as like a viewer, I think we can all look like, we can agree from the, like the next gen creators that we do feel that instant transportation into this alternate reality that's also our reality and it's unsettling and it's also really wonderful. Um, but do you experience that same feeling of transportation being the person who's making it and seeing it from scratch as well? That's a really great question. At first, no. All, all I saw at first was uh, 
the my brain immediately would just yeah. just focus on the uh, the technical leaps that I had to make <laughs> to make it. I was just very much my brain was focused on that, and I could not see it clearly at all. I couldn't experience it beyond the thing or beyond having made it uh, over 11 months. So, uh, but now because it was made in 2012 uh, and there's been a sufficient amount of time Mm -hmm. since I made it, when I experience it now, I walk into a gallery and, and I'm kind of overwhelmed by (laughs) overwhelmed by it and I can't quite awesome. believe like, that again, I made it so it's it's I, I guess what, what was the process yes now I can but not at first other pieces where it's this mesh of real um real uh, textures and real places with things that you've also created yourself Yeah, so the 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 process changes uh, from piece to piece. I don't have a a set, um, you know, a, a set number of programs that I work in. I basically I start with an idea, and I then try to figure out how I'm going to engineer it. And uh, in the case of of Mariner Nine, I started with the idea of, oh, yeah, okay, so I'm going to imagine Mars and maybe I can film in Arizona. And then through research, discovered the topographical data. And then I, then my thinking went, okay, well, what program could I use to faithfully uh, recreate the, the landscape of Mars? What, what programs are out there that are particularly good for this? So uh, that's when I came across a program called TerraGen, which is used in the film and gaming industries to create landscapes. And I uh, yeah. got in touch with them, told them about my idea. I do this a lot, actually, when I work with with uh, smaller software companies. And I uh, explained it and said that, you know, um, I would be grateful for any support they could offer in my journey of trying to figure it out they were amazing they were they were really really supportive of the work um and helped technically where i needed it but uh yeah so within within terrigen then i embarked on this quite a lengthy journey of of converting the data the topographical data into uh um to to for it to be read properly in Terrigen, that required a number of conversions of the data that I can't quite remember the steps that were needed, but I had consulted a number of, of uh, different um, organizations. And actually at that point too, I was consulting the head of JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, his job was to also visualize um NASA's journeys. So at that point, everyone would have seen the journey of Curiosity uh, leaving the planet and flying across the uh, solar system and and arriving uh, to Mars. And that was done, I believe that was done in Terrigen as well when the Curiosity rover landed. So he and I were exchanging uh, technical uh, information and and advice um, at the time he had already made his I was I was kind of lagging a little bit there 
behind him. Um, but yeah, that, that process of getting the data in and then basically when you bring the data in, in this case, it was like a bumpy gray canvas. So I had to create the rocks. I had to create all the sand, the ripples, the what appears to be frozen water, uh, the, the dust. Everything had to be created and textured on top of the bumpy canvas. So that was the the first process and uh, or the first part of the puzzle. It's I, that's a probably a really good way of thinking about my work is that there, it's every single thing that I make is basically like putting a puzzle together, and how that puzzle comes together depends on the ideas and the demands of the work. So the the space uh, debris, the so rather the um, the debris of the various missions to, to Mars in the scene were created. I think if I can remember properly, I think it was Cinema 4D, and the uh, dust storm w- was created in Turbulence FD. Uh, all of it was then composited in After Effects. And with other works, just to give an example of uh, of a completely different work, um, what shall I pick? I'll pick Pillars of Dawn. It's a it's a recent work where uh, uh, trees there they feature solo trees in otherwise barren landscapes, and the tree and the entire landscape are covered in billions wow. of crystals. And when the tree's blowing in uh, uh, fictional wind, the the crystals yeah. are refracting light, so it appears to just be kind of glittering um, uh, for the viewer. And that one was yeah. most three D programs would would just pack it in immediately if I tried to make something with that complex. But I've found out that uh and I didn't want to I didn't want to cheat it because you can you can texture something to look like billions of crystals but I wanted these things to be billions of crystals uh for believability and uh I found a program called Clarice which claimed to be able to handle crazy amounts of geometry and sure enough it it could and again I contacted that company and they were very supportive as well for the project so that was created in Clarice because it had a very specific technical uh, demand Uh, and the tree itself I believe was yeah that was created in speed tree the landscape I think was created in (laughs) cinema 40 and the the clouds are actually from Whitley Bay where I used to live in the UK the same sort of tone that you have you're starting from scratch almost with each each um each time Yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah, I don't I I don't ever start a work knowing how to produce it. It's it's really about the idea first and foremost. That's amazing. I'm yeah. not I, think, uh, I don't um, Yeah, I don't limit my gen, my ideas. So sort of, it might again change depending on sort of your different pieces, but how much of the landscape in the in the Mars piece is is data and how much of it's your sort of artistic interpretation and the same thing goes for your other pieces as well. How much is it your like artistic license as it were? Yeah, so the 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 lay of the land is is data. So how yeah, the, all the little mounds and all of that is yeah. is data. Uh, 
the rocks, I, I can't guarantee that those rocks are exactly <laughs> exactly where they are. Uh, the sand, I'll, I, I can't guarantee that that looks like that specifically in the, in the same kind of textured manner because that's not what the data tells us. Uh, the data is, is really more about the, 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 the lay of the land as opposed to uh, specifically where each each rock is and and what the construction of that landscape is so the the uh, <laughs> yeah the sand is artistic license the although that would be largely what is all over Mars so I think it's a pretty accurate uh, uh, guesstimation there but the yeah. the frozen so your, water like, maybe other pieces maybe well less accurate it's um, got, like subtle messages so it's and yeah it's a mix and things and how do you decide what your pieces are going to be about and how much of those messages you're going to sort of spell out for, for the audience and how much you're going to make them have to sit through it and work it out themselves. Well, the, the, the sitting through it and interpreting is a really important aspect to all of my work. I, I never want to dictate how people interpret the work and but I will say that uh, that they most of them have multiple readings embedded in them very deliberately and people often refer to my work as being dystopic but I actually they're equally not because uh, I you know the, might is a two-way street and right now things aren't looking positive for the future of what the future will look like for us but again, there's time to change course. So, and so I think that the work has to operate on those two levels. Um, so it's important for me to, to, to make that kind of ambiguity um, or embed that kind of calculated ambiguity in everything that I do. And what a viewer, how a viewer specifically interprets it is entirely dependent upon what they come with, you know, what, what, what views they have. Um, and I, I don't want to take away from that. I, I personally love the journey of um, unpacking a work myself. If, if, if it's someone else's work, I don't like having work that is um, uh, prescribed in terms of, of meeting meaning necessarily. So I, I want to allow that, that kind of um, experience for viewers and I think it strengthens the work. It also allows me to uh, bring together yeah, numerous in sort of like, interests like in any particular work by way of those multiple ways that you can read. Creating read it as well, do you feel that sense of sadness or more more hope, as it were, like more optimism when you're whilst you're making uh, the piece? Uh, it's both. It depends on what's in the news that day, <laughs> to be honest. Um, 2020 in particular is like a really grim year. Uh, but yeah, so maybe maybe sometimes I'm feeling less hopeful. Um, but I, I really, I have to hang on to, I have to hang on to that element well, how, of hope and, and believe general, that we're smarter it than this. changes a lot depending, but how long would it take you to sort of complete the process of, of your kind of style of pieces? Yeah, it's, um, it, it does vary. Most of the time, I think it takes probably about a year with 
with Mariner 9, it was 11 months with myself and my partner working on this full time. And when I say full time, I did not take a single day off, not a Saturday, not a Sunday, nothing. 11 months full on. Um, I don't remember doing much in the else in, in that time, but it was it was necessary to get to get the job done basically on time for its premiere which did coincide with uh, Curiosity landing on Mars. Of course. But no, thank you so much, Dan <laughs> Sophia. Those, they were really, uh, they were questions that I wouldn't have asked because you've got an art brain and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of um, the fact that I don't have an art brain, um What's been the the best reaction that you've had to people that you've seen of people looking at Man and I then for the first time? Uh, so when when this work premiered in Whitley Bay of all places in England, I actually lived in Whitley Bay as well, and because it's a really darkened space, I could sneak in <laughs> to the to the <laughs> to the exhibition and be in there without people realizing that I was there. And so I could, I could, I could watch people's reaction as soon as they entered. And there was almost always a kind of physical, like a gasp or, or some kind of, you know, a facial Mm -hmm. look of surprise or, or, uh, you know, large smiles on people's faces. Um, So that, that was a joy to watch. I think the best, uh, reaction is actually seeing that people stay with the landscape. There's, mm. there's this in particular was made in such a way that the loop point is hidden. So you never really know where you are in the landscape. It's, it's, it, it lasts. And at the same time, there's, there's not a great deal of animation. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not a great deal of animation happening to to require people to stay to watch it but and I and I certainly don't want to dictate how long someone spends with the work but the amazing the most amazing realization from this work and being able to hide (laughs) in in the (laughs) exhibition and and witness it is was was watching people stay for for you know for half an hour, 40 minutes, sometimes much, much longer, and very happy to just sit there in the landscape. That that was surprising and also, uh, yeah, a, a joyful kind of realization of, of how people were interacting with the work. That's really, I, I like the fact you could just sneak in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, was, this, was this when it was um, playing... Uh, so was this when it was being exhibited in the like the derelict building? I've forgotten. That's right. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, did you design it to exhibit it specifically in that space, or was it designed for any like black box, white box gallery? It it was not. Yeah, it was not designed specifically for the Spanish City Dome when it uh, premiered there. But uh, when we were looking around for options to house it, uh, it's such a large piece that immediately there's not many places that that could could uh, could house the work. Uh, And in, you know, considering the the numerous 
locations that that could allow for it this one came up as a possibility and it's derelict state the the smell of of it it smelled musty it smelled damp it was damp there were uh yeah it was it was uh it felt felt like the you were in the environment as though you were in a um yeah a, an abandoned uh building on mars so while it wasn't made for it, it ended up being a really perfect premiere venue because it amplified other other senses in viewers by way of smell and the feeling of damp in the air. Because the, the, the videos and the, and the pictures of the space, it does look fantastic and, and the right level of moody, if you, if you understand. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, this I've just I've got to ask this question because it's it's a little bit more frivolous. Um, you've inspired an album. <laughs> yes, you, you've got an album. You know, I've got Mar- an album. Mar- 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 Nine has an album. That's right. Yeah, for the benefit of all, it's called, um, and it's by uh, T. E. Morris. And yeah, it uh, it inspired the album, and um, it's just amazing that it did i yeah it's a, it's a gorgeous album by the way and i think you can you can listen to it on dunk records um it's uh it, like sorry like finding out don't, don't worry what was that like finding out that, that your piece of work you'd inspired had you'd created had inspired this this other work coming off it that is and i've heard it and it's it's stunning but what was that like the first time you listened through that Oh, I was really overwhelmed. I was I was very very honored that the work could inspire an an entirely different artwork as it were. Um yeah, it was it was amazing. And then listening to it <clears throat> uh even more so because it takes me on a on another journey uh to Mars in a in a completely different way through someone else's uh, you know, T.E. Morris's uh uh, interpretation of it or experience of it and yeah it, um, it's uh, yeah it's a, it's a real honor have you I've got to ask have you listened to it whilst watching Mariner 9 I haven't I can't watch Mariner 9 on my uh, my computer screens because I can't really see the animation when I was yeah. you know which actually <clears throat> posed a big problem while I was making it because I couldn't actually see physically oh, see yeah. the animation. I, I guess you haven't got a, like a 10 meter long no. screen. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but I have been listening to that album whilst thinking about other work. So I love the fact that Mariner nine ends up inspiring a whole other, you know, an album and then listening to the album in my studio has inspired me again. So it's this kind of, you know, ongoing uh, conversation of inspiration points. It's really nice. <laughs> Good, because yeah, um, you don't you don't hear many um, like full albums inspired by video art, or sorry, video installation art. Even I've um, never heard of one. <laughs> no, no, I was I was going. The only song I can think of based on art is um, "Starry Night" by uh, Vincent by Dan Don McLean, um, and that was literally it. My brain went completely blank then. Um, <laughs> Speaking of, uh, like you are one of the, one of the leading artists in, in video installation art. Um, what was it that pushed you down that particular artistic path? 
<clears throat> it um, happened kind of naturally. I studied as a, excuse me, <clears throat> I actually studied uh, in my undergraduate degree as a, as a painter. Mm. And at the end of that degree, I started asking the question of why, I asked myself why I was painting. <laughs> Maybe I should have asked that during my undergrad instead of at the very end. <laughs> but, but it just kind of felt like um, at, at some point, well, yeah, at, at the point of graduation that I was doing it. Uh, I had something that I, you know, I needed, I needed to understand color and, and, and how it works and composition and all of that. Uh, but after I had a handle of that, I didn't really know why I was doing it apart from the fact that I enjoyed it. And I guess it was at that point where I, you know, I asked what, what was it that I had to, to add to the conversation of art? And so ideas enter, you know, I, I started to lead rather my make my uh, production by way of ideas rather than medium. Mm -hmm. And that's when video entered my practice and I didn't set out to be a video artist. I didn't really have any specific goals, um, but very organically or naturally over time video uh, held my interest. And I think the possibilities within video even more so uh, held my interest what I could do, what I found out through investigating it and um, testing it was that I couldn't do what I do in video in any other medium. Yeah. And so that's, that's what, 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 uh, yeah, what, what, what drew me to it and why I still work with it to this day, even though every now and again, I get super frustrated with it techno <laughs> technologically speaking, and I, I threaten to just become a painter again, but I never do. <laughs> um, it's also really interesting because I, I do like video art um, a lot, but the, the, the stuff I'd seen previous to Marin and I had been things like Rachel McLean's uh, Too Cute, and then... Uh, the like the short pieces like Luton where it's just two people in the back of a van being driven around London. I'd never thought of the video art as this this huge installation piece, and it, it I'm gonna say it, it blew my mind. Um, oh, nice! <laughs> it was just like, oh yeah, you can. Why didn't I think this? Why didn't I think this was a thing you could do? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you say that you you were you were you studied in painting. Um, yes. But do you reckon that sort of more formal traditionalist training has has influenced you in things like um, Embers and the Giants, which is your piece of these giant like uh, trees that are being surrounded by like like hundreds of thousands of drones drifting in and out of them? Yes. Um, I'm just amazed. I remembered the name of the piece. I'm just going to <laughs> that's that's very impressive. Um, <laughs> but the way that these those drones move is that like sort of influenced on the on your, like a brushstroke because they move very naturally but with um like a very deliberate purpose yeah that's a great question I think I can't take that uh training away and so I hmm. think it does impact on on the way that I make things in ways that I might not even be completely aware uh definitely 
there is no pixel that's left untouched in my work. The attention to color, the way light functions in all of the work, uh, composition, movement, uh, movement in a kind of poetic way, a, a way that isn't isn't um, that is somewhere between almost not chaotic, but just mesmerizing, I think is, is the word I'm looking for. So, um, I, I I didn't think about it like a brush stroke, but that's a really, that's a really interesting way of, of interpreting the movement of that particular Mm -hmm. work, but certainly, certainly the color and the way that light functions in the work is, I think from a, a painterly background. Nice. Um, as I said, you, you, uh, for aspiring artists and, and people who are looking to sort of experiment and examine different art forms they've not done, like not like professionally trained in or not trained in very much, you seem to have this attitude of, I'm doing this because I think I should. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Would you, would you say that's, at least in your head, a, a good philosophy to follow oh yeah i mean it it, i guess it depends on the person and also depends on how stubborn they are to actually see it through (laughs) (laughs) because it does require a certain level of dedication that is maybe not ideal for (laughs) a lot of people (laughs) but i think that if i were to limit my ideas to what I actually know, then what I would have made over the course of the last 20 years would be so different. And I can't, I just can't approach work like that. I have to, I have, you know, the ideas are quite specific. They feel very timely. Like when I make something or when I, when I embark on something, it feels like that work needs to be made at that particular time. So it's, it's rather than a, a kind of dedication to a particular vision, uh, and a trajectory of that vision, actually current events, et cetera, feed into it. So the, so if I, if I were to work in a way where I restricted myself to what I, what I know, then I wouldn't really be allowed, uh, uh, I wouldn't be able to, uh, respond, I think in a, um, kind of timely fashion to, to current events and, yeah. you know, how things are looking and, <laughs> And um, yeah, all of that. <sighs> I know. <laughs> Keep reminding um, us that we're supposed to be. This is supposed to be happy. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Well, I'll, I'll crowbar in happiness. <laughs> um, uh, what's the one bit of advice you would give to like any young or new artist? <clears throat> hmm. Excuse I know, me. Right. But it's a, <clears throat> This isn't even one of the questions I, I sent you earlier. This is just <laughs> so I apologize. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> I, I my advice for everybody is to uh, to figure out what it is at their core that drives their making and mm-hmm. honor that first and foremost. That doesn't mean uh, making in a style which they think is fashionable you know, from one year to the next, it means really honoring that, that inner interest that they have and that inner voice and facilitating that 
that is the number one thing that I think artists need to be focusing on rather than chasing any kind of uh, style that might be popular at any given point. I like it. That's good <laughs> advice for life as well. <laughs> um, I've got one. I've got one final question um, because this has been really nice, and your answers have made me really happy. Um, good. <laughs> what are you working on currently, then, or, or is there anything that you can tease us about what you're <laughs> working on currently? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I I am finishing. I'm trying to finish uh, the <laughs> the Pillars of Dawn series. That series has been going on from 2015. It started off as a series of prints. And I deliberately shifted to prints, and they were only supposed to be prints because I mm. wanted to I wanted to test myself to see if I could do in print form what I do in video. And then after a few years making these prints, I realized, oh, but if they moved, they would be quite magical. <laughs> so, so then, quite late uh, in twenty nineteen, just last year, the first. The first video of that series premiered at the Northern Gallery for Contemporary Art in Sunderland. And I would like to make at least two more, ideally five in total, so that they could form a a large installation at some point. So I'm chipping away at that when when I can. I just uh, finished remastering Embers and the Giants, which is premiering in the UK at the York Mediale at the York Art Gallery until January 24th. So that's just opened. And then following that, I have one more tree piece that I would like to make. Mm-hmm. And I'll just <laughs> I'll I'll just just leave it at that. And though I will say that I would like to return to Mars uh, with a with a follow-up piece. And I've been uh, discussing doing a uh, residency with NASA at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. Yes, I had a I went to um, to Houston last fall with Diverse Works, which is an arts organization there. And uh, so working with them, uh, we're trying to set up a, a residency with NASA. And I have an idea, but I would like to just be there and um and and look at what they're working on right now uh to allow that idea to shift if if necessary but uh, i had a when during my visit there i had a uh a tour of all of their research centers and was just blown away i i stood inside the international space center on this planet and uh and had my head inside orion which is their a newish uh, a spacecraft that they're working on to bring people um, deeper into space. Wow! And uh, yeah, it was it was really amazing. Uh, it was I felt like a, a kid on uh, Christ- <laughs> Christmas morning, <laughs> and I haven't felt like that probably since I was a child on Christmas morning. I just know that everyone listening is immensely jealous. <laughs> it, it, it was really really amazing. So. Yeah, I would. I would like to return to Mars. Uh, what it exactly is going to look like, I'm not sure because I would like to go and do this residency first. That's really exciting. Um, we had a a performance 
in, in the gallery one where you're uh, where Mariner Nine is currently, of um, it was called the Ultimate Residency, and it was a one <gasps> sort of yeah descriptive show of uh, a woman going on the Ultimate Residency of an artist's retreat to Mars. That's right. I read about that. Yeah. Is that it's it's a ridiculous question, but I'm asking it. Um, <laughs> if you were off with that, you, uh, everything you needed was there, but you could just produce all the work you wanted while being on Mars. Everything paid for. Would you say? Would you be interested? And would you say yes? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> the only sensible answer to the question. <laughs> Absolutely no way. I yeah. After <laughs> after speaking with the um uh scientist who has a lot of reservations about getting us there (laughs) i'll i'll leave you with this with why i would say that when people were willfully um signing up to go to mars Mm -hmm. uh he said they're all well-meaning but they haven't been able to visualize the various ways that they will die oh my god (laughs) isn't that awful it's a really really happy end point isn't it um maybe (laughs) maybe yeah yeah it's (laughs) but i think you know when when you're looking at such a long journey and all the things that could go wrong and then when you reach mars and uh the various hurdles really considerable hurdles uh in in making that a survivable place i you know, if if it was completely safe, even I I wouldn't go. <laughs> a, a, a very understandable answer, and probably the sensible one. <laughs> um, Kelly, this has been brilliant. Uh, it's been really nice having you on and being able to talk to you about Mariner Nine and the wonderful things you create. Sophia, thank you for representing the Next Gen Creatives and asking your brilliant questions as well. That's okay. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. A huge thank you, of course, to Kelly Richardson and Sophia from the Next Gen Creatives. I must also say a big thank you to Rachel Graves, who is the Visual Arts Coordinator at the Attenborough Arts Centre, and Hannah Pillai, who is the Coordinator of the Next Gen Creatives. Uh, Both of those two helped organise this, and I think we all have to give them a really big thank you. All leads for me to say is thank you for listening and we shall see you next time on the Attenborough Arts Centre podcast. <laughs>